0: This podcast is brought to you by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. G-O-M-O-T-O.com.
1: I'm Jason Stein, publisher of Automotive News, and this is Daily Drive for Tuesday, February 23rd. It's one thing to step away from your innovative dealerships and day-to-day operations as a car dealer and step into the role of NADA chairman. It's entirely another to do it virtually, starting with your first appearance on stage, a virtual stage. That's where Paul Walzer found himself recently, kicking off his 2021 chairmanship in a studio instead of a New Orleans convention center. Walzer is undeterred. Virtual or not, he has a big agenda ahead of him. He wants to ensure that car dealers get their place at the table as a new administration takes shape in Washington. He's pushing for dealers to approach their operations and the industry with a clean sheet of paper, asking how they would redesign both to be better if given the opportunity. And he'd like to see more diversity in the dealer space. He also said dealers and automakers must re-examine their relationships and change the way they operate. Consumers want just three things these days. Speed transparency, and control. Paul Walzer is going to help dealers get there. Today, he tells us about it. Well, I know you're a busy man with a, a new job, but thank you for finding some time to talk to me, Paul Walzer. How are you?
2: I'm great, Jason. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Let's talk about that new job. So not not only have you signed up for uh, a, a year that, that should be one of the more interesting, challenging, um, you know, perhaps most important growth years for the industry, uh, but you're also taking on these duties that you've that you've never really done before. What what have you learned so far in the new gig?
2: Well, I'm one week in, and uh, uh, you know, there's a little more to this maybe than I originally thought, uh, but uh, it, it's good stuff, and it's uh, uh, really engaging. I I, uh, I love this industry, and. I've, you know I've been at it all my life, and so uh you know the topics are are intriguing and they're fun, and we're certainly at a moment in our history where there's just an awful lot going on and so uh I, I can't think of a time where it might be uh more engaging to be in this role so uh it's gonna be a a wild ride for twelve months, and I suspect by the time it's over, I'll be exhausted and ready for you know something with an umbrella in it in the way of a cocktail. <laughs>
1: Well, let's talk about that first week. And you had to make your opening remarks at the NADA show in a virtual format, which I know, uh, even just talking to uh, past chairman uh, Rhett, uh, it was it was challenging for him to navigate last year in a virtual world. How was the NADA virtual show for you?
2: Well, I, I would be remiss in not saying how unbelievably I'm impressed I was with the whole NADA team. You know, it, you know, as late as as uh, last fall we were still hoping for a live convention and all of a sudden uh, we had to change course. And uh, this team of people at NADA, their, their staff and leadership. And I mean, it, they were just unbelievable. And and so I think the product uh, from my perspective was as good as I could have ever imagined. I've heard nothing but positive comments from dealers who participated in this and, you know, to, to pull off a, you know first ever virtual show in literally a matter of months and to have it come across the way it did was was nothing short of a miracle uh in terms of the uh you know that the the live part of it that uh you know where where the speakers were involved you know we were down in chicago and uh they had rented a uh, a performing arts center down there and set up all the you know the cameras and everything down there and it was a very different environment as you can imagine than if you're you know if you're addressing an audience in a traditional format where you're looking out and you can see the eyes and you can see how people are responding uh, instead you're staring at you know all kinds of lights and cameras and screens and and uh, I was frankly a little bit anxious about whether or not I I would be comfortable uh, in that kind of a setting but uh, at the end of the day, they, they did a nice job on, on, on getting us kind of relaxed and able to deliver the, our content.
1: It was delivered wonderfully well, and the technology uh, was, at, was at the highest level. Um, certainly, we're, we're all struggling with the same things, um, that lack of interaction, that human interaction that we would have had and, and that we have had at, at previous NADAs. I'm guessing that's probably the biggest thing that you missed, during this year's NADA show. I mean, that's what NADA is all about, right, Paul? It's the ability to connect with folks one-on-one, human-to-human, and in a live environment.
2: Well, it sure is. And, and you know, we've actually, as a trade association, you know, we typically have three meetings a year, one of which is around the convention. Then we have two others where we all get together. And we've gone a year now without getting together. And and it's, it's, it's funny because as we, you know, transition some of the, directors have moved on and we've got some new ones on board and that lack of touch that lack of connection has really been a challenge for us because we we don't know each other as well as we normally do and and it's really critical that NEDA and the 63 directors that are that are part of it from all over the country are are connected in ways where we can talk about the issues of the industry and 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 really make some progress and Zoom meetings are great and and they're fine, but it it isn't the same thing. And it certainly isn't at a convention, which is, I think, a highlight for a lot of viewers every year is just, you know, you know, rubbing elbows with friends, members of other of their 20 groups and, you know, seeing vendors and friendly faces and, and the manufacturing partners. And, you know, it's just everything's just different. And. Uh, we did the best we could and hopefully next year we'll be live in Las Vegas and we'll be back to business as usual.
1: Did Rhett Reichert give you any advice going into this given that he went through his twenty twenty NADA chairmanship in a virtual world?
2: Rhett has been nothing short of a you know, a, a, a superstar for me. He he was uh very generous including me and you know, virtually everything that he was doing last year. That that vice chairman year is is important to you know kind of get your footing and get ready for the year ahead and, and Rhett was especially helpful in kind of mentoring me through the whole process lots of things he's shared with me Jason along the way um, and uh, you know he he was um, he was a real soldier for dealers last year because normally this job has kind of some perks associated with it you know some international travel and and some, you know, some things that that uh, are, are attractive to those that have served in this role before and had none of that and never complained, worked his tail off uh, on behalf of dealers and got a lot of stuff done. He, he was uh, he was a rock star.
1: You used a clean sheet of paper to challenge members to think about the association and their roles as dealers in a different way, especially after the the pandemic if you could talk a little bit about your opening remarks uh to dealers and and the message that you really wanted to to send
2: well everything to me is is all kind of centered on on making sure that we have a strong franchise system today and moving forward you know we've got over 100 years of this and you know uh, uh, great historical successes but there is uh, a lot going on right now and new challenges that we haven't faced before haven't seen before uh, especially we've got uh, people manufacturing cars that seem to believe that they're better distributed without the dealer body. And these are things that we have to be vigilant about and making sure that we're protecting our interest in a couple of ways. Number one, obviously we can continue to to, to fight our fight uh, as we did when, when uh, Tesla came out with uh, their product offerings and didn't want to use dealers. And Uh, But at the same time, in in addition to fighting, I think we really have to, you know, kind of examine a little bit about ourselves and be prepared to make the changes necessary to make our franchise system uh, even stronger and better. In in other words, as new OEMs come out with new product offerings, I I would love to be in a position where they would say, of course, we'll use the dealer body. It's a terrific way to, to sell cars. And so to me, that invites the question of what is it that we can do? Uh, as dealers, uh, working with manufacturers to produce a better product uh, for customers. and And the speech really centered on kind of three areas. One was, in fact, that OEM dealer relationship and how do we work together in a way that uh, through the customer lens, uh, delivers a better product than we're doing currently. Uh, not that we're bad, by the way. There's an awful lot of very, very good dealers, but you know we can always improve, and, and that's what we should be looking to do. Secondly, to uh, to work on this uh, diversity issue, we really, you know, we're we need some solutions to this because we're we, we just don't have the, uh, the 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 type of inclusion that we really should have as an industry. And and my point simply is that one way to become stronger is to make sure that, you know, as we're challenged by regulatory agencies and legislators and and others that that, uh, are always taking a look at us, if we're an industry that really excels in this space where we've got a lot of, you know, diversity amongst our ranks, uh, it makes it, I think, stronger and more difficult, frankly, for them to come after us because, you know, we encompass everybody. And I think that's critical. And the third area was was just challenging all the dealers to get more engaged and more involved we we have to be connected we have to have a grassroots effort on an ongoing basis to to educate legislators on on what we do and why we're important and those connections have been valuable in my own journey and i think it's it's really critical for everybody to to step up and 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 get engaged because the challenges ahead are real jason this is Uh, this isn't going to be easy stuff. And, and, uh, so I just, I feel like we need, I think we need
1: everybody's involvement. We'll hear more from NADA chairman, Paul Walzer, after this message.
0: Your service check-in process sets the tone for your customer's entire visit. Do your customers wait longer than five minutes to check in for service? Are your advisors presenting upsells to every customer every time? How often is the opportunity for trade appraisals missed? When your service drive gets busy, these inefficiencies directly impact revenue. Give your customers the option to handle the entire check-in process themselves. From appointment scheduling through final confirmation, all in under two minutes. Customers have the experience they want while selling themselves, which means your advisors are freed up to focus on profit-producing activities. It's a win win for both CSI and your revenue. Introducing a smarter service link. GoMoto is the self service kiosk designed to grow your business. If you're ready to start increasing revenue, improving the customer experience, and maximizing service efficiency today, visit GoMoto.com. That's G O M O T O.com.
1: Yeah, in fact, uh, you said. Uh, it will make a difference one day on the importance of being politically active and building relationships, no matter who holds the elected office. And and I know, you know, part of your message was to was for dealers to really you know put the foot down on their on on the accelerator there.
2: Absolutely, I I, I shared the story about you know my, uh, the fact that I was actually involved in in raising the the uh, the, the, the money for a candidate for the U.S. Senate and and uh was unsuccessful in that effort but just called the the winner out of of courtesy and developed a relationship that ultimately uh saved a a store of ours and and several other stores in minnesota for other dealers and so you just never know and um you know we got to treat everybody as people and we got to make these connections no matter who's in office and what your particular uh political thoughts are I, i think these connections are invaluable and uh you know we, we have a, a a changing of the guard this year and and that's an opportunity to create new uh, relationships new friendships and uh, strengthen ourselves for for whatever may be coming our way
1: paul you've been a dealer since you opened a chevy store in 1985 and of course you're the you're a partner in the walzer automotive group uh, 27 stores minnesota kansas california illinois but more importantly uh, and this goes back to some reporting that that our own Amy Wilson has done over the course of the last ten years you're an innovator you were one of the first to go into the one price uh, uh, concept you were one of the first to to really focus on customer experience employee satisfaction. Give me your take on one price and and has one has the time for one price finally finally come?
2: Well, I do think most dealers are are one price in, in terms of pre owned sales uh, because it's it's no longer practical to uh, put your uh, your inventory online, you know, at prices that that leave room for negotiation. You just the phone won't ring. So, I think that the internet has kind of forced the one price initiative, at least on the on the pre owned side. Um, you know, for us, it really was a matter of of trying to. Uh, Continually ask the questions about what is it the customers want, and there, you know, there are certainly some customers out there that enjoy the negotiating process, and and that's fine. But if we're going to, if we're going to be sensitive to the time issue, uh, which to me is uh, one of the most important things we have to think about. I mean, everybody's in, you know, is used to you know, instant six, you know, uh, you, 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 get online, you order a product and it's at your doorstep the next day. You know, they, they want it simple and they want it fast. And I, I don't think we can be, we can, we can serve the customer's needs if we, if we have to spend, you know, any reasonable amount of time trying to discuss what the price of the product should be. So I feel like it's just part of that journey of trying to be transparent and trying to be faster. Uh, and so a lot of things, you know, lead off that. I mean, I don't think one price in and of itself is like the thing, but I think if you look at it in the context of the entire experience, uh, and, and, you know, through speed and transparency and other issues that are important to customers, it's, it's certainly a sensible journey to explore. Um, and I'm not saying it's the only way to go, by the way, I, I think there are dealers that, that do a great job that, that have a different approach, but I, I think everybody needs to be sensitive to, to transparency and speed. And one of the points I was trying to make on that, Jason, is that we can't we can't live in a world of complex incentives. And this has been talked about for a while now as the stair step thing has continued to drag on, despite, you know, so many uh, people voicing concerns about it. You you, <laughs> you literally can't be in an environment where you don't really, as a dealer, even know what your car costs yet, because you don't know where you're going to end up at the end of the month. And, and that's just a silly place to to try to operate. And uh these I, I get the fact that they they can drive short- term results, but in the long run, these programs need to go away we We got to have a a straightforward, simple approach to the business.
1: Paul, there's a lot of chatter currently around consolidation and and you know some headlines obviously recently of of some pretty big groups getting more heavily involved. What's driving a lot of that?
2: Well, I think the you know some of it is just cost, honestly, Jason. I mean, if you're if you're going to have a ro- a robust technology department, you know, uh, in, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, uh, in our case, let me just use an example. At one point, a few years ago, we 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 counted up and we had 96 different software solutions that we're using in, in a, you know within our world, and they have to talk to each other. And so, the integration of of those uh, software solutions and the cost to to take on those uh, you know, whether they're monthly or, you know, whatever their particular, uh, their fees are, it's, it, you know, it's just expensive to, to tackle all that stuff. And, and so obviously if you can spread those costs over a number of different locations, it becomes more palatable than if you're having to absorb that at a single location. Single locations are, are more dependent on outsourcing. Uh, and obviously outsourcing doesn't necessarily lead to the kind of loyalty that you want if you're doing it yourself so it's just a natural outcome i think of in- increased cost uh, and same thing on the manufacturing side i mean I think we heard Marcioni a few years back talking about the amount of throughput that he thought that Oems needed to be relevant going forward and it's once again it's if you're this journey to electrification as an example costs a lot of money so you either have to partner up with other OEMs to do this, uh, or you've got to have an awful lot of resources yourself to to make that journey on your own. And and dealers are no different. We have we got a lot of costs that we didn't used to have, and uh, I think that's uh, that's what's driving this.
1: One more thing on EVs: there are many dealers who we've talked to, even on this program, who have a lot of concerns about the. Um, the EV products that are headed their way. Uh, we've chronicled the more than 100 models that are coming in the next 18 months. What do you think? Uh, we, we know where the consumer uh, take rate is. And when you look at a situation like just this past week, where you have power failures in parts of the country and um, you know, some, some legitimate concerns over getting just uh, home electricity to people, well, how does this all shake out, Paul?
2: You know, I was I was talking to uh, Charlie Gilchrist, who was our chairman a couple of years back just yesterday, and he was saying how some of the people in Texas actually resorted to starting up their cars and 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 using those for for heat. Uh, You can't even imagine. Um, But yeah, this. Uh, you know, I think dealers are are fine with the with this journey to uh, electrification. I think the question is, are we are we pushing it a little too fast before we're really ready? You know, we don't have the uh, the infrastructure yet for it. Uh, at this point, there doesn't seem to be the consumer demand. I think we're still kind of hanging in that two, three percent range. and you know that's that means ninety seven or eight percent of the consumers are still choosing internal combustion engines. Uh, so, you know, is the market ready for it? Uh, you know, is the infrastructure there? I think those are some pretty serious questions. And, and you know, and we don't want to put uh, the price of vehicles, uh, uh, you know, uh, out, out of line for, for, for a lot of consumers, you know, because it, it is it's a lot more expensive so far, anyway, to buy these products. And, you know, that's not affordable for everybody. And so, you know, I, are we better off as an industry, if we're talking about clean air, having somebody leave behind a vehicle that's 15 years old and trading it for one that's five years old, that is got significantly improved emissions. And uh, is that a a good path for us to be thinking about at the same time as the journey to electrification? So I think there's an awful lot of stuff that needs to be talked about here. And so often I believe that people have, you know, maybe knee jerk reactions and, and, and move too quickly when a more thoughtful Plan uh, gets us to a better place. Uh, th- this is a this is a journey we need to be on. Uh, but should this happen overnight, I-, I don't think so.
1: Paul Walzer, you have a couple of things on your to do list for 2021. We wish you all the best in the tasks that you couldn't have anticipated, <laughs> and uh, really appreciate you joining me.
2: Well, Jason, thank you, and thank you for all you guys do for our industry. You're a go-to source for all of us, and and I really appreciate all you do. And And let's keep talking. If you've got some ideas for me, I'm all ears. I, uh, I want to do a good job here for dealers everywhere. I'm, I'm passionate about it, and I care. So I uh, want to look back and feel good about the journey.
1: I have no doubt your journey will be a good one. Thank you so much, Paul, for being on the show. Thank you, Jason. Have a great day. And that's Daily Drive for Tuesday, February 23rd. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And for a library of more than 250 interviews, go to autonews.com slash Daily Drive. We'll be back Wednesday.